0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Welcome this morning as we have gathered once again to worship God here at this place. We are glad for everyone to be here this morning. Let's take a look at the things that are going on in the life of the church. Tonight we have choir at 5, then admin council at 6, uh, Thursday, or Monday we have United Methodist Women at 7 uh, Wednesday we have the Joshua Study as part of our Bible in a Year Study uh, at 6.30 Next week we have the Old Place Picnic uh, at 5 uh, There is a sign-up sheet in the back just so we know how many of everything to have So we make sure we have plenty of stuff So please sign up on that um, so we know how to plan for that Uh, And then on September 26th, we have a Nominations and Leadership Committee meeting at 6.30. Uh, And as always, if you're willing to help in any way, shape, or form with the worship service, please just let me know. Uh, Are there any other announcements this morning? All right. Well, seeing no other announcements this morning, let us turn in our bulletins for our opening prayer. Let us pray this together, so let us pray. Elusive one, the scoffer said, If there no balm in Gilead, is there no physician there? Why do you tarry when your people need you? Why do you hide your face when our need is great? Speed your compassion to our side. For our souls have become wellsprings of sorrow, and our eyes have become rivers of tears. Help us, O God, of our salvation. For in you alone do we find our strength to revive our souls. In you alone do we find nourishment to meet the needs for the journey. Come speedily to us once more, that we may see your glory and know where our true help lies. Our song of preparation this morning is number 430. O Master, let me walk with thee. be seated. Let us now come together and offer a prayer of yearning and hear words of assurance this morning. So let's uh, pray our prayer of yearning together this morning as it is found in your bulletin. So let us pray. Holy One, in the midst of life's troubles, be once more the balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. Become for us the healing balm that heals the sin-sick soul. For we are weary in body and tired in soul. As we strive to live faithfully as children of light, children who are wise in the ways of your kingdom. Too often we neglect the talents you give us and act less shrewdly with your true riches that the unscrupulous do with the dishonest wealth of this world. As you search our hearts and ways, may we be found faithful in a little, that we will entrust us to be faithful in much. Rejoice and be glad, for even when sorrow grips us, God's compassion comes speedily to meet us. Be still, and know that there is a balm in Gilead that heals the sin-sick soul. Thanks be to God. Amen. We now take time to lift up our joys and concerns so that we can pray with and for one another this morning. Uh, we do need to add the Marion Owens family and the Bill Swan family to our prayer list. Are there others to add this morning? All righty. Others. Mm.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, my goodness, Kenton Brown already, right. most definitely. Others this morning. Well, let us take our prayers to the Lord this morning. Let us pray, gracious, holy God. We have come once again, gathered in this place, as the church, as the people of God, as the siblings in Christ. And Lord, we come thankful. We come thankful for the many things that you have given us. We come thankful for the cooler weather. We come thankful for the week of worship that we had this past week. We come thankful that we were able to get out of bed this morning and and make it to this place. We are thankful that through technology we can watch a service and worship with our family. Lord God, we are so blessed by you. Lord, may we always remember to say thank you for all those blessings. And Lord, we have a prayer list. We have a list of names that is growing by the day. And Lord, we have a world of people that need you and need our prayer that is growing by the minute. So Lord, this morning we lift those names to you. We lift those who need healing. We lift those who are downtrodden. We lift those who are grieving. Lord, we give them all to you. You know each and every one of their names. You know each and every hair on their head. And Lord, we are thankful that you are the great physician, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, and that... In your hands, anything is possible. So this morning, Lord, we ask that your will be done in our lives in the lives of the people around us and in this world. Lord, let your will be done. And Lord, as we have gathered this day and as we have prayed the prayer that Jesus taught us so many times, Lord, we come this morning, Lord, to again offer that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, and forgive us this day our daily bread forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes in the form of our Psalter reading, Psalm 79, 1-9, and it is printed in your bulletin. So let us join together as we read the Psalter together. The nations have come into your inheritance, God. They defiled your holy temple. They've made Jerusalem a bunch of ruins. They've left your servants' bodies as food for the birds. They've left the flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They've poured out the blood of the faithful like water all around Jerusalem. And there's no one left to bury them. We've become a joke to our neighbors. Nothing but objects of ridicule and disapproval to those around us. How long will your rage, Lord, forever? How long will your anger burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations who don't know you, on the kingdoms that haven't called on your name. They devour Jacob. Don't remember the inequities of past generations. Let your compassion hurry to meet us because we've been brought so low. God of our salvation, help us for the glory of your name. Deliver us and cover our sins for the sake of your name. Amen. Uh, let us stand and sing the doxology as the offering is brought forward. of every good gift. You call us to be wise with the true riches of your kingdom. May this offering show such wisdom that having been formed faithful in a little, you will trust us to be faithful in much. We offer you these gifts in gratitude for your love that they bring healing and light to those who need your balm of Gilead. Amen. Amen. Before we are seated, turn to your neighbors and welcome each other with the peace of Christ. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. It doesn't hurt to be reminded a couple times. seated. You don't have to keep standing. (laughs) Well, it is good to hear all the laughter and the joy that we get to share with one another as we do pass the peace on Sunday mornings. Let us get to our second scripture lesson this morning, which is the New Testament lesson from 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then I asked the request, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Pray for kings and everyone who is in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in complete godliness and dignity. This is right, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the human Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a payment to set all people free. This was a testimony that was given at the right time. I was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle to this testimony. I'm telling the truth, and I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then our gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke. The gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. So hear now what the gospel of Luke has to say. Jesus also said to the disciples... A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. Now the household manager said to himself, What will I do now that, I, that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their house. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, Take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, How much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat, he said. Take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the external home. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches?" If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, as we have come to this place, we ask now that you speak to our hearts, to our minds, open our ears that we may hear. So may the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Amen. So I'm going to pose a question first. Who is confused by this parable? (laughs) I'll raise my hand. Doesn't matter how many times I read this, I always get a little confused when Jesus says and commends the dishonest manager and says, you know, use this wealth to make friends. It's just really confusing. But... But I think we need some context to start off with and then we get to the confusing part. So in the context of this scripture this morning, we have the Roman rule. This is when Rome was in power. This is when they had control over how much you gave to them. So Roman rule was bad. It was rule by force. It was rule by taxation. By keeping people down so that they didn't have the will to fight. So the Roman tax was high. You had to pay tax, just like we have to pay taxes now on our property, which some of us now are probably going, it's way too high. But they had to pay taxes on their property. And what happened is these smaller farmers struggled to pay taxes. They barely made enough money to cover their expenses, yet they had to pay Rome. And in many places and in many ways, they fell behind more often than not. And when they fell behind, these rich landowners would come in and pay their tax debt and essentially take over the farm. And then these rich landowners would say, hey, I paid your tax bill, I'm going to allow you to, you know, to keep, uh, keep your farm going, but you're going to give some of that to me. You know, you're going to take what you need, and here's how much you're going to give to me, and this is how it's going to work. So the landowners were basically tenant farmers, became slaves to the land with no way of going, getting out of debt, basically. And that's the way Rome. And these rich landowners wanted it. They wanted these farmers to be allowed to keep their property and continue to farm it. But these rich landowners didn't really care where it was at. They just bought the land and had a manager in that area. And the managers were just as dishonest and just as loyal to themselves as the rich landowners were. So not only did these small farmers have to pay a, a certain amount to the rich landowner that now pretty much owned their property, they also had to pay to the managers because the managers, it's the only way they got paid is by taking some out of what was left. So Barbara Rossing, uh, in the Working Preacher blog says this, Rich landowners and rulers were loan sharks using exorbitant interest rates to amass more land and to disinherit peasants of their family land in direct violation of biblical covenantal law. The rich man or Lord along with his steward or debt collector were both exploiting desperate peasants. So when we hear Jesus say, you know, Praise this manager for what he did and, and talk about wealth. That goes against the covenant law of, of what it says in the Old Testament. That you're not supposed to charge interest on what you loan and that every seven years you are to forgive it. Well, these rich landowners aren't going to forgive it. They're not going to let this land go back to the people that actually own it. But before we get to Jesus praying, we have this little story between the landowner and his manager. You see, the manager got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He got caught getting more wealth or taking wealth out of the landowner's pocket. So the landowner's like, hey, we ain't having this more. I need to see your books. Well, you know, the manager probably had two separate set of books at that point. He had the one that he showed the landowner, and he had the one that kept accounts of everything else so he knew how much he had and what he was taking. Well, the landowner saying, I don't want the book that you showed me. I want your other book. I want that book you keep hidden away in the closet under the mattress out in the stable where nobody's going to go look for it. You're busted, and you're no longer going to handle any money for me. Show me what you have done. So the manager was like, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to do anything, and I'm definitely too proud, too proud to beg for money. So he had to think of a way to survive. He had to think of a way to make sure that he was going to have a place to live, that he was going to have a place to stay. Because no one was ever going to hire him again to manage any money after this got out. Because no one's going to be able to trust him. So he has to figure out what he's going to do. So he goes back to those landowners and calls them all in. And he says, hey, I'm gonna, we're going gonna to work out a deal here. I'm going to cut your debt, but that means you're going to owe me something later. So he takes this one that we talk about and cuts his bill by half. He cuts another by 20 Now, it says one by one he sent for them, and one by one they came in. And we only hear about the 50 and the 20, but we probably can average somewhere 25% was cut from all their bills for all these people. So now they owed him a favor. Now, Barbara Rossing says this about this transaction. She says, When he reduced the payments, the steward may have simply been forgiving his own cut of the interest. Or he may have been doing what the law of God actually commands, namely forgiving all the hidden interest in contracts. So you have this manager who possibly sacrificed his own profit in order to gain favor with the debtors. Hmm, maybe. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. We have to read in between the lines. But here, this manager, already probably pretty rich in his own right, having money, you know, living in this nice house, uh, hopefully not the landowner's house. Hopefully it wasn't only, it was he owned it. But if he didn't, he had some money. But at the same time, He was not going to be able to live all the way he's used to living on that money. He's just not going to be able to do it. So at some point, he'd be hurting and need some help. So what he did, being dishonest, is went and made sure people owed him favors. That people owed him for what he did for them. So we, we don't hear about a lot more of what the manager did, but we hear that the, the landowner, the master, commended the manager for being clever, for acting dishonest. Why did this, this landowner commend him for doing that? Because it's exactly the same thing the landowner would have done. It's the exact same thing that the landowner is doing. He's making sure that he can live the lifestyle that he wants to live. That's why the manager got called to task. And he's getting fired because he wasn't receiving all of his money from his land. But if the rich landowner is, is commending him, Maybe there's some, something else in there that we need to pay attention to. Why else would Jesus be telling us this story? So we can think maybe, maybe the landowner is committing to him because he used what was entrusted to him for a higher purpose, which was selfish means, but a higher purpose, and he put those landowners in a position that they owe him favor so he commends them over this, and then Jesus tells us to make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you in eternal homes. Now this is where it gets confusing. This is where we can kind of go, Jesus said what? Wait a minute, that, that doesn't sound right. Something sounds wrong there. But I think we need to go back to the original text for just a second, the Greek words that were used in these pieces. And that first word we need to think about is the wealth or riches. Now, this has been translated from the word mammon, which is a personification or a deification of wealth. So this wealth that these two had was mammon. It was idolized, wealth. And this is a reminder of how financial system itself can function as an idol or religion. Here, you know, the dishonest manager maybe had been going, hey, you know, this is what the Scripture said, I'm going to start living this way. But more than likely it was, hey, I need people to owe me favors because I'm not going to have a job after a while. And I need to make sure that I'm still going to be able to live the way I want to. So they were idolizing wealth, idolizing what they had. So maybe the question for us is how are we idolizing what we have? Now I'm a techie and I love technology. So this one, when I asked this question to myself, the first thing that came to mind was my phone, my watch, my TV, my gaming systems. Um, you know, anything technology-related that Jana lets me buy every now and then, um, just to satisfy that. But how much do I idolize that? How much did I really want that and, and, and had to go get that? Some For some people, it may be new cars, it may be new toys, it may be new boats, because we do live near a lake. There just may be other things that are part of that. Now, having all of that is not bad. So don't hear that. It's, it's not bad to have wealth. It's not bad to have things. It's bad to idolize it. It's bad to put it all there. And then that's all that you have. So then we have to, to go from idolizing what we have... And then we have to think about the church. Now, Jesus never said, go build buildings and have church. That came from just wanting places that we can get out of the weather, places that are beautiful, like the temple that we read about in the Old Testament. But there are some churches out there that idolize what they have. Some churches idolize new technology they want to use the latest and greatest thing they're trying to find the best way to reach people to entertain people so they got to have lights and sounds and all of this stuff. Some are just want a new kitchen because the kitchen is old and antiquated or they you know they just want to have that newness in that area. Some are using uh, going and buying our building multi-use buildings you know and a lot of this is a lot of it is for good they're using what they have to build a new fellowship hall or multi-use building so that the community has a place to gather they're building new kitchen because they need the new space because they're preparing meals more often now for the community and for the church They maybe need the new tech because, you know, they they want to show videos during the service or they, they want to be able to broadcast their message out there. So remember, it's not bad to have things. It's bad to idolize things. Well, something that I think Christianity has idolized a little too much is the Scriptures. Now hear me out. The Bible is the book. The Bible is what we need to read. The Bible is what we need to understand, but we don't need to idolize it. Jesus and God come before the Bible. Jesus and God are in the Bible, but they're not of the Bible. They are out here among us. God and Jesus are with us. God and Jesus are the ones who are helping us read the Scriptures along with the Holy Spirit's guidance in teaching us more. Because Jesus said it, I have a lot more to teach you, but you're not ready. So those teachings are not in this book. The basis of those teachings are, but the full lesson is not. So we have to listen for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is also telling us that we have to build relationships. Charles Cosser from Text of Preaching says this. This draws from the story, use your wealth, but it counters the story, make friends for yourself. Instead of employing your money to create a group that owe you favors, make friends with your money. Friendship involves commonality and equality, not indebtedness. Halver Moxon's comments, "...to make friends by unrighteous mammon, therefore, was the opposite of enslaving people in need. To make friends by giving to those in need had a liberating effect." It meant to put people on the same footing. To put people equal to one another. To not worship the money, but to build relationships. Now there are other Greek words that I think we need to understand also. And this is this idea of home, the eternal home and home according to the manager. Now, in Greek, the manager's home that he is talking about is oikos, O-I-K-O-S, if you want to write that down. Uh, and this is like a building. This is a place that is an abode, it's a permanent structure. But what Jesus is talking about when he talks homes is skenas, S-K-E-N-A-S, and that is tents. That is what travelers lived in. It's what nomads were in. So it's not this eternal home is not about the earthly home and the earthly buildings. It's about the people and the relationships and being out and among instead of just inside. See, that's why I said earlier that that Jesus didn't envision the church being a building. He envisioned it as the people that are out and about. Because, you know, the the early Jesus followers did not really have a building that they were able to gather and worship in. Even the Israelites didn't have a building for many, many years. They worshiped in a tent. When the way of what, what was originally the Jesus following was called the way, when it was starting up, it was house churches run by women. The men didn't care what happened in the house. They cared how their image was outside of it. And I guarantee you any man back in that day, if they would have walked in that house and said something to that woman, it wouldn't have been a good day. Because women were the head of the household, so they were the ones who were going about making sure the way was moving. Now, that doesn't mean that the men weren't a part of this. It just means that when it came to the house churches, the women were putting those together. And the men were the public eye helping to hide that because they were being persecuted. Paul was going around and finding these house churches and dragging them to execution. But yet Paul becomes one of the biggest supporters of the way. So what, is, what does all of this mean? How, you know, what, what do we need to take from this, this confusing passage? Well, what I see is maybe how we perceive ownership. If, we all, if all that we have is actually God's, if we, if we look at it in this way, which is sometimes hard to see. How are we using these gifts that are entrusted to us? How are we using what God has given us? How are we using those things? Secondly, how do we perceive wealth? Like I said, wealth is not bad. Having things is not bad. It's the worship of it, of it becoming mammon is what the problem is. So we have to see how can wealth be used to build the kingdom and not tear it down. Another thing is how do we perceive God's vision? Now there's two things we need to do under God's vision. Personally, God has a vision for each and every one of us. So what is God calling us to do? as individuals as members of the church of god's church and then there is god's church the body the bigger conglomerate of people that are gathered as siblings in christ what are we doing are we building relationships or are we building buildings Are we fighting oppression and injustice, or are we telling people they can't be here or there? Are we doing what Jesus told us to do as the second greatest commandment to love our neighbors? This is a confusing scripture about faithfulness with money. And how we are to use what we have, which is what God has given us, if we believe it that way, which we should, I think, how are we using that to build up the kingdom of God? Bless you. How are we using that? Well, this morning, we're going to reaffirm our faith, and we're going to remember our baptism. And the vows that were taken at that time, either for us or by us, or later on in confirmation. Of what we covenanted with God to do. What we said, hey God, we're going to do these things. And we made that covenant in front of the people. So we're going to remind ourselves of our covenant to God as baptized believers. And then we're going to welcome one that has been a member of this church for many, many years, but we're going to make it official this morning, uh, which is going to be an even more blessing of what it is to be the faithful of God. So this morning we're going to turn to page 52 in your hymnals. And once we get through to a certain point of this, we're going to flip over uh, back a couple of pages to 47. So if you want to kind of put your finger back on 47, you can do that, because we're going to jump over there in just a few minutes. So brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ holy church. So, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, say I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they represent themselves? If so, say I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, I do. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? So let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scripture of the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and was buried He descended to the dead on the third day. He rose again He ascended into heaven is seated at the right hand of the father and will come again to judge the living and the dead Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church the communion of Saints the forgiveness of sins resurrection of the body and the life everlasting the Lord be with you let us pray when nothing existed but chaos you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light in the days of Noah you saved those on the ark through water after the flood you set in the clouds a rainbow When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit he called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations declare his works to the nations his glory among all people pour out your holy spirit and by this gift of water call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism for you have washed away our sins and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives that dying and rising with christ we may share in his final victory all praise to you eternal father through your son jesus christ who with you and the holy spirit lives and reigns forever amen So, we have heard and seen the water that flows. May we remember our baptism and be thankful. Amen. So, the Holy Spirit work within you that having been born through water and the Spirit, you may live as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, now if you'll turn back to page 47. I'm going to invite Ronald Ford to come and be received into the membership. Ronald has been an active member of this congregation for many, many years. And now he is going to join us as a member, a professing member of this church. So let those persons who are members of our communities in Christ's Holy Church and who now desire to enter into the fellowship of this congregation present themselves to be received into the membership of the United Methodist Church. So I ask you, Ronald, will you be loyal to the UMC and uphold it by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? As we also receive him into the Methodist Church, we receive him into this local congregation. So let those who are members of other congregations of United Methodist Church or Baptist, we are all welcoming, and who now desire to enter into the fellowship of this congregation present themselves to be welcomed. Again, Ronald, welcome. So brothers and sisters, I commend your love and care to Ronald, which you've already showed many, many, many times, whom we this day receive into membership of this congregation, I ask that you do all in your power to increase his faith and confirm his hope and to perfect him in love. We rejoice to recognize you as members of Christ's Holy Church and bid you welcome to this congregation of the United Methodist Church. With you, we renew our vows to uphold it by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. With God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ, that surrounded by steadfast love, you may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to eternal life. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, bless, preserve, and keep you now and forevermore. Amen. Hang on just a second. We are thankful for the service that you have put in for the years before a member, but we are even more thankful that you are now a member of this congregation. Bless you. Love you. And there's your little certificate to to put with your records. (laughs) Welcome, Ronald. As we are so blessed to have such, so many members that um, are professing or not, those who attend, you are still members of this church and we are grateful and thankful for all that you do for this church and for this community. Uh, so thank you for all of your service. Uh, as we continue, we're going to now sing our song of invitation. Now, I know it says 304 in the bulletin, but we are singing I Surrender All because my fat fingers hit zero instead of five. So it's actually on 354, I Surrender All. So let us stand and sing our song of invitation. ¶¶ As we depart this place, receive this benediction. Be faithful in little, that you may also be found faithful in much. Be faithful in much, that you may be entrusted with the true riches that come from above. Go to be faithful children of light, and come to know the grace, hope, and peace of the one who is truly faithful. And may the forces of evil become confused on the way to your house. Thank you.